You know, there's an old saying that says that if you look at somebody's checkbook and calendar, you can tell what their priorities are. What they spend their money on and what they spend their time on can really reveal a lot about somebody's values, the things that they find important. So if somebody spends a lot of time at work, then you might think, well, work is important to them. If somebody spends a lot of time and money uh, you know, on a beach house or a mountain house or, or fly fishing or playing golf, you can tell that, well, those are things that are important to them. They enjoy doing those things. So I want you to think for a moment about what values are revealed in your checkbook and calendar. How do you spend your time and your money? What does that say about you? And the same is true for churches. You know, like most people, most churches haven't really stopped to take the time to consider and examine what do our budgets and what do our church calendars show is our priority. What do we as a church prioritize? And I think a lot of churches don't do that because they'd be ashamed if they really stopped to look at exactly what they actually value. We often aspire to value certain things. We say we value this, we value that, but in actuality, when the rubber meets the road, we don't really value those things much at all. The past two weeks, we've looked at two values that I believe are actual values. I think if you looked at our budget and our calendar, if you, if you read our newsletter and, and e-newsletter articles, I think you'd see that this church really does value the Word of God. That we want to be biblically faithful in what we teach and what we preach and, and how we live. I think you'd also see that this is a church that worships authentically. Worship is important. We prioritize worship. We want as many people here on a Sunday morning as possible. We want to do the best job we can when we're here together to worship God. But I wonder if the same could be said of this third value that we have adopted. And that is the value of being prayer dependent. Depending daily on the Spirit for wisdom and strength. Say that with me. Depending daily on the Spirit for wisdom and strength. Now, you'd probably say, David, of course we value prayer. We pray all the time, and I agree. We pray at least three or four times in every worship service. We have a whole uh, Wednesday night where we take time to focus on prayer. We've got uh, small groups that meet throughout the week to pray together. I I hope that each of our Sunday school classes spend some time together every day in prayer. You know, we, we, uh, all of our meetings, our deacons' meetings, our various committee meetings, they all open and often close with the word of prayer. And I pray that, that all of us are praying every day on our own and with our families, not just once or twice, but multiple times a day. But if we stopped and examined how we are praying, what we are praying for, I wonder what it would reveal about our level of dependence on God's Spirit for wisdom and strength. We would probably see lots of prayers for good health, for protection and safety, lots of prayers for God to provide for us materially and financially. We'd see lots of prayers for God to bless our children and our grandchildren. And these are all good things to pray for, don't get me wrong. But how often and urgently are we praying for God's name to be hallowed? For His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth. For His will to be done 
in Thompson McDuffie County for His will to be done in this church and in our homes just as it's done in heaven. How often are we praying for God to open doors for the gospel to spread in difficult places around the world? How many prayers are we praying for our fellow believers and ourselves to live worthy lives for the Lord? How often are we praying for missionaries, for our church and our staff and our Sunday school teachers and our children and youth workers and our deacons for revival in our church and for spiritual awakening in our land? How often do you pray for those things? Yet these are the very things we see Paul praying for the churches that he knew and loved, like the church of Galatia and the church of Ephesus, and even for churches that he had never met, like the church in Colossae. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. I want us to look at Paul's prayer in this chapter and examine what kind of praying we should value if we are really going to be dependent on the Spirit for wisdom and strength. And as we look at this prayer, beginning in verse 3, we're going to see the first thing that Paul valued in his prayer was praise and thanksgiving. Look with me at verses 3 through 8. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, Paul always began his prayers with praise and thanksgiving. And each prayer was, the the, the praise and the thanksgiving wasn't just generic. It was tailored specifically to the church or the person for whom he was praying. And in the Colossian church, we see that Paul was giving thanks for their faith in Christ Jesus, which they had learned from a particular person, from Epaphras. We see that Paul is thankful for their love for all the saints, Colossae was a diverse city. And this church, despite their diversity of ethnicity and economics and and all sorts of backgrounds, the church was amazingly unified. He was thankful for their hope stored in heaven that was the source of their faith and their love. And he was thankful that the gospel was spreading and growing fruit there in Colossae and around the world. So Paul began... His prayer with thanking God that the Colossian church was living up to their job description. They were being a community of faith, hope, and love who wanted to see the gospel spread to their town and to the neighboring areas around them. He began with praise and thanksgiving. Now that's significant because prayer is first and foremost about our relationship with God. It's not just about getting things from God. In prayer we grow in our love for God. We grow in our adoration for God. We grow in our appreciation for all that God has done for us. We focus on Him first because the end goal of our prayers shouldn't be getting things from God. It should be getting God Himself. As we sang in that song, His presence. It's the presence of the Lord. We want to know Him better and love Him more fully and experience personally 
His presence in our lives. But prayer is also God's chosen means for blessing us according to His promises. God wants us to come to Him in a trusting relationship of submission and obedience, just just like children to a parent. We want our children to come to us when they need something. We want them to bring their fears to us. We want them to come to us with their questions. We want to be able to provide those answers and that comfort and those blessings for our children. And the same is true for God. He loves us. He has our best interests at heart. He is a good, good Father. And so He wants us to bring our requests to Him in trust because we believe that God is able He's able to provide. He's able to protect. He's able to guide us. And when we start our prayers with praise for who God is and thanks for what God has done, we remind ourselves that we can depend on Him to meet any and every need that we have, that He does provide for us. He does guide us. We remember God's past faithfulness so we can trust Him with today's needs and tomorrow's. And it's based on that assurance that we then make our requests of God, the supplication that Jamie mentioned. Now, that supplication uh, has two other... Supplication is kind of a big churchy word, right? It just means to ask for something. Uh, But there's also two other words, specific. We give God our petitions and our intercessions. So when you petition, you're asking on behalf of someone else. So we bring to God requests for other people's needs. But then we also... I'm sorry, that's intercession... But then we, 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 so we intercede on behalf of others and we petition God to give us the things that we need in our lives. We pray for others and we pray for ourselves as well. And we see that in this next section, beginning in verse 9. Paul's prayers of petition and intercession. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Now, Paul gets to the reason for his prayer. And notice that he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. So Paul's prayer for this church is unceasing. He prays constantly for this church. This is one of the ways Paul partners with the churches that he serves. This is one of the ways that Paul lives out his calling of being an apostle to the Gentiles. He can't can't be at all of these churches. Remember, when Paul was writing this letter especially, he was in Rome. Paul was under house arrest. He literally could not go and be at that church and minister to them. Now, there's a word there for us, a lesson for us, because you and I aren't able to go everywhere around the world that people need to hear the gospel, are we? Most people in this room probably never been on a mission trip overseas. I encourage you to go if you have an opportunity. It's a life-changing experience, but you may not have that opportunity. There may be things even happening here in our church and community that you want to be a part of and you think, I just just can't be a part of that. I can't really help with that. That's not my skill level. I I, I work when that's going on. I just I want to be a part of that and support it, but I don't know how. You can always pray. Praying for a ministry of the church, praying for missionaries, that's not some sort of like, you know, it's not like you've been benched. 
you know, it, it's not like you're just stuck in the dugout and you can't really play. Prayer is where the power is. We need our people praying. So if you can't be a part of something, just like Paul could not be an active part of this church's life, but he prayed for them. He cared about them. He learned about them so that he could pray for them better. So I encourage you, we can never have too many people praying. But Paul didn't just pray, pray unceasingly for this church. He prayed systematically for this church. Think about that. Do you have a systematic way of praying? Do you pray regularly every day, intentionally, systematically for the needs around you? I encourage you to use the family gram. We have, we have a short-term and a long-term family gram. And those are great ways to help you to daily pray systematically for different people and needs in our church and community. On our church's website, we've got links to Georgia Baptist Mission Board, North American Mission Board, uh, International Mission Board. Uh, there are prayers, you, uh, needs you can get from Samaritan's Purse. There are different places you can go to learn how you can pray every day for different missionaries and works around the world. As you read the newspaper or watch the news, make a list of the things that burden your heart that you want to pray for every day. Keep a journal. Keep a prayer list. There are ways that we can systematically be about the business of prayer. But when we do pray, when we pray for the church, when we pray for God's work around us and around the world, what do we pray for? What do our prayers reveal about what we value in our church, in our community, in our homes, and in our lives? Do we just value physical and material blessings? Do we just value God doing things to make our lives easier or to better the lives of those that we know and love? Let's look at what kind of values Paul's petitions and intercessions revealed to us. In verse 9, Paul prays first and foremost for fullness. He prays for fullness. Paul wants these believers to be filled with three special blessings from God. And not a one of them has anything to do with physical health or financial blessing or safety and protection. And this was a church that, this was a time when Christians faced persecution. And Paul doesn't pray in this prayer one time for any kind of protection from persecution. Or safe travels. Traveling mercies aren't mentioned anywhere in this prayer. He prays for fullness. First, for the fullness of the knowledge of God's will. That's what he wants them to be filled with. Now, in the Colossian church, they were combating these Gnostic beliefs. Gnostic beliefs were beginning to infiltrate the church about this time. And Gnosticism taught this secret knowledge, this mystical wisdom, that those things were the key to salvation, not faith. It wasn't about faith. It's what you could know, what you could understand. And the Gnostics believed that this special knowledge could only be attained by the elite through these rituals, through astrology, through, through radical self-denial. And the Greek word for secret knowledge is the word gnosis. But Paul uses a different word here. He uses the word epignosis. And that word epignosis means to personally come to understand something as true and valid. This isn't just a generic knowledge. It's not a mystical knowledge. It's a knowledge that's based on personal experience. The book of Hebrews compares gaining epignosis to eating solid food. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. 
Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, Paul wants the believers to have a knowledge of God that's been learned, experienced, tested. He wants them to go from milk to solid food. He wants them to take in God's Word, to digest it and grow in their knowledge of God's will. This isn't some New Age vision quest he's talking about here. This is real-life knowledge gained through personal, experiential relationship with God. Paul prays the same thing for the Colossian for the Ephesian Christians, but he puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. I keep asking that God, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. That's the point. It's to know God better. Like we would know a friend, Right? I mean, the more you spend time with a friend, doing things with that friend, maybe helping out that friend at their house build something or go fishing or hunting with that friend or or just get together over a cup of coffee and talk, the more you do that, the more you get to know that person. That's what Paul wants to happen for us in prayer. But how does God do this? How does God fill us with the knowledge of His will? Well, Paul specifically asks that they know God's will through spiritual wisdom, and spiritual understanding. Let's look at those real quick. Spiritual wisdom. Another word for that is discernment. It's the ability to rightly judge the best course of action. Timothy Keller says this about spiritual wisdom. He says, To be wise is not just to comply with the rules, but to perceive God's will for human life. And in the Bible, wisdom is often paired with understanding. Spiritual understanding means to see the true meaning to see the true importance of something. So as we grow in our understanding of the gospel's meaning, as we understand why it truly matters, as we begin to prioritize kingdom principles, we begin to understand God's will better. Spiritual wisdom and understanding aren't rational. You can't have spiritual wisdom and understanding using human reason. They're spiritual. It must come to us from the Spirit of God. It's not our own cleverness. The Spirit enables us to understand the meaning and the importance of eternal matters. He helps us to discern the right things to do and the right things to say. Paul is praying for more than just knowledge and information for these people. He's praying for transformation for them. God doesn't want to just change our beliefs. He wants to change our behaviors. He wants to change our attitudes. He wants to form the character of Christ within us so we can make wise choices. Unlike the false teachings about that special knowledge, God isn't interested in us just accumulating knowledge so that we can win at Bible trivia or so that we can feel like we're all high and mighty. He wants us to know Him so we can become more like Him. And we see that in the rest of this passage. Paul explains why he prays for these believers to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. It's so that our character and our conduct are transformed. So we see the next thing he prays for, not just fullness, he also prays then because we're full of the knowledge of God's will, he prays for us to have faithfulness. We see that in the beginning of verse 10. 
And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. That's Paul's prayer. When we're filled with the knowledge of God's will, when we have that spiritual wisdom and understanding, then we will walk worthy of the Lord. We will live lives that please God. See, God measures true wisdom, true understanding, not by what we know up here, by what we live out here. It's measured by our obedience. Do we walk the talk? Do we practice what we preach? Knowing God's will is inseparable from doing God's will. I've mentioned this before. In the Hebrew mind, belief was an active thing. Faith wasn't just something you have. Faith was something that you did. You know God's will, therefore you do God's will. If you're not doing God's will, you don't really know God's will. Because if you knew it, you would do it. We often misquote passages like John chapter 8, you know, where Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we leave off the important part of that verse. Jesus actually says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The only way we can be set free by the truth is if we're living the truth. If we're actively obeying it. Being set free comes through obedience. We know because we do. As we discussed in the value of biblical faithfulness, we must not only listen to the Word of God and read the Word of God and thereby deceive ourselves. We must be doers of the Word of God. And James goes on to explain the reason for that in the next chapter. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. Faith without actions is dead. Knowing the will of God and not living by the will of God is fruitless. It's futile. Knowledge and belief must result in action. Faith must be expressed and acted upon, not just believed in our heads. What are the things that make our lives pleasing to God? What are we to be faithful at doing? In our prayers, we must pray for ourselves. We must pray for each other. We need to pray for our church to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we must pray that we would be faithful to live out that knowledge, that we would live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. That we would practice what we preach as a church. That we would walk the talk as Christians. We must pray that we would be faithful in living Lives worthy of the Lord. Because if we are full with the knowledge of God, if we are faithfully living according to that knowledge, then this third thing Paul prays for will happen in our lives, and that is we'll be fruitful. We'll be fruitful. He picks that up there in verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks. Remember how Paul was thankful about how the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world? Well, he's especially thankful that this same gospel is bearing fruit and growing there among the Colossian Christians. Now, how does the gospel bear fruit? How do we bear fruit? What kind of fruit are we to be praying for? There are two primary kinds of fruitfulness we need to be concerned with. The first is the fruit of disciple-making. 
This is the Great Commission. I'm going to talk more about this next week as we look at being missionally engaged. But it basically means that we are to spiritually reproduce through making more disciples. And I believe this is the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about in most of His teachings, especially in John 15. In John 15, verse 16, Jesus said, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go... There's the Great Commission. Go and do what? Bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in My name the Father will give to you. Notice in this verse that Jesus is linking prayer with our being fruitful, with our making more disciples. And earlier in this passage, Jesus emphasizes that we can't bear that fruit, we can't make more disciples if we're not praying in dependence on Him. Let me read to you a few other verses here in John 15, beginning in verse 4. Jesus said, Remain in Me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, and here's the connection to prayer again, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Depending on Jesus, remaining in Him, prayer, making disciples and bearing fruit, they're all connected. They're they're, they're linked and bound together. And this is why we must abide in Jesus through prayer, through worship, and through the Word. All of these first three values we're talking about, the Word and worship and prayer, is all right here in John 15, 4 through 8. These were things that Jesus valued. These were things that Paul valued. Do we value these things? Do we really? This is why we must pray for God and depend on His Spirit to fill us with the knowledge of His will, to help us to live faithful lives, to help us to be fruitful, to help us to make disciples. Because that's why we're here. That's why the minute you're saved, God just doesn't snatch you right on up to heaven. If He did that, I don't think we'd have quite as many people walking the aisle, Jay, on a Sunday morning if that just you know happened right there. But the reason that He doesn't do that is because He leaves us here to bear fruit, to make disciples. If we're not doing that, we're like a branch that's withered and needs to just be tossed to the side. It's no good. But the second kind of fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. This is where the Spirit of God forms the character of Christ within us. And we begin to embody the values of Jesus. The attributes of Christ, love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Through our good works, through the gospel's transforming power, we produce these characters of Christ. But we can't grow in the character of Christ unless we're doing some of these things Paul talks about here, unless we are growing in the knowledge of God. Paul was thankful of what they knew about God. He wanted them to learn more about God. None of us should ever be content with what we know about God, should we? None of us have arrived yet. We need to always be praying, God, help us to grow more and more in our knowledge of You. We should be striving to know Jesus more today than we did yesterday. Because guess what? You're either growing 
or you're dying. There is no stagnant faith. Like a plant. A plant is either growing, it's putting out new leaves and new flowers and fruit, or it's dying. The same is true for churches. Churches are either growing or they're dying. There really is no such thing as a plateaued church. Which are we? Which are you? These should be regular burdens on our hearts in prayer. He also talks about being strengthened with this glorious power and might. This gets to the heart of why we must be prayer dependent. Living a a, a life that is worthy and pleasing to the Lord is not something that I can do in my own will or power. I cannot please God on my own. I must rely on the Spirit's wisdom and strength. Paul later describes this power as God's energy which so powerfully works in me. We are strengthened by His glorious power and might. And then he says, patiently enduring with joyful thanksgiving. Now, endurance and patience aren't exactly highly prized commodities in our fast-paced, fast-food, speed-down-the-highway culture, is it? We tend to want to avoid pain and discomfort. We don't like lines. Okay? We, 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 want to, we want to get things done quick. We want easy answers to our problems. But endurance and patience can enable us to do more than just survive They can help us to thrive in life's trials. They can help us to have joy when we're persecuted, to find pleasure in contentment, triumph when we're insulted. It can give us rest from our labor. Because of our growing knowledge of God, the fruit we bear in good works, the patient endurance we draw from the Spirit's strength, because of these things, no matter what we face in life, we can still pray with hearts, that are filled with joyful thanksgiving. And this brings us to the close of Paul's prayer. He began his prayer with praise and thanksgiving. He ends his prayer with praise and thanksgiving. Acknowledging God's power and goodness should always bookend our prayers. Thanking God for who He is, for what He has done and will do, helps us keep our prayer priorities straight. It helps us to pray in worship, not in worry with confidence, not with concern. Notice again, Paul is specific in his thanks. Let's look at what he thanks God for here at the end of this prayer. He says, Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. He's giving thanks for their salvation, for their inheritance that God has qualified them to share with the saints in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has taken us from, from death into life, from darkness into light. He's given us a new citizenship in the kingdom of God. Paul is thankful for this and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Y'all, these are the things that really matter. These are the things of eternal weight and importance. And we should give God praise and thanksgiving for these every day. Because our church has said that we are going to value prayer that is passionate and spirit-led, we have to commit to become a church and to become people who are characterized by prayer. 
And your strategic revitalization team identified three ways we can express this value. The first is to equip and encourage people to pray daily. Jamie's already mentioned the Faith at Home Center. We've got resources at the Faith at Home Center all the time to help you in your prayer life. And we have two special ones that are out there right now today, brand new, about prayer. There's one out there about praying with and for your children. So I want to encourage you to stop by the Faith at Home Center, pick up some of those pieces about prayer. We provide the family grams and other prayer resources to help you to know what to pray for. There are great books in the library and links on our website about prayer. We want to equip and encourage you to pray daily. Secondly, provide regular and ongoing opportunities for our people to pray together. We commit that in our worship services, in our Wednesday night meetings, in all of our Sunday school classes, all of the meetings that we have as a church, before and during and after every single event, we want to give you more opportunities to pray together. We shouldn't conduct a single event. Trunk or treat, Easter egg hunt, upward basketball game, it doesn't matter that it has not been urgently prayed for with great burdens in our heart, lifting up those events and those programs to God that He would bless and empower and use them for His glory and to reach people for the kingdom of God. Amen? So we are going to provide you more opportunities to pray together. We're going to pray together more in worship. And number three, it ties right into this last one too, rely on personal and corporate prayer in every phase of ministry. It's like I said last week about worship. We can put on an amazing show up here, but if the Spirit's not in it, it's not worship. We can put on fantastic programs and events for this community, but if the Spirit isn't in it, it will bear no fruit for the kingdom of God. And we'll be no different than a civic or community organization doing good things. That's not what God has called us to be, is it? We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're to proclaim the gospel and make disciples and to love people in the name of Jesus Christ. And we can't do that if we're not praying on our knees before God to take our humble offerings and to bless them and use them for His glory and to give us the guidance that we need to do the things He wants us to do in the way He wants us to do them. And we will emphasize that and do that more as a church. But listen, the first prayer that every person must pray, the first prayer that God wants to hear from anybody is that prayer of complete and total dependence on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. If you've never prayed to confess your sins to Christ Jesus, to ask Him to forgive you and to give you a clean heart and a fresh start, if you've never entrusted your life to Him and said, Jesus, I've made a wreck of my life, I need you to come and live within me and do a better job of it, then I invite you to come this morning and to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for your eternal salvation. That's the first prayer we are to pray. This morning, maybe God has called you into full-time Christian ministry. Maybe you've been fighting it, resisting it, thinking, well, I'm just not qualified, I'm not able. Or maybe there's a specific ministry in the church that God is calling you to be a part of, and you know that He is. Maybe this morning you need to come and surrender to God's call on your heart. Maybe God is calling you and your family to unite with this church, to partner with this church in prayer, in worship, in studying and proclaiming the Word of God. We ask you to come this morning and to unite with us. Whatever God has laid upon your heart, I pray that you'd be obedient, that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will 
And this morning right now, you'd be faithful to do it. Would you stand with me and pray? Father, thank you that we can come before the throne of God with boldness because of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you hear our prayers, that you care about the burdens of our heart. Thank you that you allow us to partner with you in prayer, that we can be a part of what you're doing around this world. Forgive us for when we neglect this holy, sacred honor and responsibility. And Father, whatever you're speaking to hearts today, I do pray that they would be faithful and obedient to you right now. In the name of Christ we pray.